0: Let's pray. Father God, we pray that you would open your word for our understanding and application. Again, we ask, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. We live in a world that is just a barrage of information and issues, don't we? It's so easy to get lost in, in all the tangential matters and forget what we are really doing. You ever start going somewhere because you have a plan and a purpose on going there, and by the time you get there, you've forgotten what it is? I do it all the time. And it, with all this stuff going on, it's so easy to, to take things personally or, or to get caught up in something or, or to lay aside Maybe not on purpose, perhaps incidentally, to lay aside the real reason that we are here. The real reason that we are here in this room, the real reason we are gathered as a family in Christ, the real reason that God has left us on this earth. I dare say that, that all this stuff going on around us is a tool in Satan's toolbox, One of my favorite C.S. Lewis books is called The Screwtape Letters. In it, a supposedly older and wiser demon is is trying to encourage an inexperienced one on, on just how to tempt their human patient away from Christ. And he says, The real trouble about the set your patient is living in is that it is merely Christian. They, have all the, they all have individual interests, of course, but the bond remains mere Christianity. What we want, if men become Christians at all, is to keep them in a state of mind I call Christianity and. You know, Christianity and the crisis. Christianity and the new psychology. Christianity and the new order. Christianity and faith healing. Christianity and psychical research. Christianity and vegetarianism. Christianity and spelling reform. If they must be Christians, let them at least be Christians with a difference. Substitute for the faith itself some fashion with a Christian coloring. Lewis beautifully describes the distracted Christianity that we all so frequently live in. Today we could say Christianity and politics. Christianity and comfort or safety. How much does it rock your world or or your faith when your comfort zone gets breached? Christianity and personal preferences. Christianity and a show, right? People go to the church with the show, right? What colors our faith and how we live it? What is the real reason that we are here? And how does that display itself in how we walk and talk in this life, in this world? In our passage today, Paul is going to clear the cloud of distraction, and he's going to bring everyone back to the real reason that he is there. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 22. Going to start at the very last verse of 22. Acts 22, verse 30 through 2310. Let's stand up for the reading of God's word. But on the next day, desiring to know the real reason he was being accused by the Jews, he unbound him, this is the tribune unbinding Paul, and commanded the chief priests and all the council to meet. And he brought Paul down and set him before them. And looking intently at the council, Paul said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. For it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Now when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees, the other part Pharisees, he cried out in the council, brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. It is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. And when he said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided, for the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. Then a great clamor arose, and some of the scribes of the Pharisees' party stood up and contended sharply We find nothing wrong in this man. What if a spirit or an angel spoke to him? And when the dissension became violent, the tribune, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him away from among them by force and to bring him into the barracks. A reading of God's word. Thank you. Back to verse 30. On the next day, desiring to know the real reason, why he was being accused by the Jews. He unbound him, commanded the chief priests and the council to meet, and brought Paul down and set him before them. The tribune wanted to know the real reason that Paul was being accused. Why was he really there in this crazy situation? Why all the uproar and the rioting? What is this all truly about? So the tribune, as a Roman authority he calls a meeting of the Jewish leadership. He says, hey, you guys got to get together and meet and and figure this out for me. And as they all gather together, verse 1, looking intently at the council, Paul said, brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. Paul begins by fixing his, his eyes directly upon them looking at each and every one of them. And he tells them, he he engages the council fully because what he's about to say is of the utmost importance. And, And he wants to be sure that he has their full, complete, and undivided attention. Have you ever noticed that a conversation takes on a whole new meaning, a greater import and depth when somebody is looking right at you? You never want the pastor to look at you while he's preaching, huh? When people do this, they're telling you that what they're about to say is immensely significant. And you'd better hear it. So he tells them, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. Everything that I have been saying, everything that I've been doing, all the ministry to the Gentiles, what I am about to tell you, it has all been according to the will of God and his word. Brothers, I and he gets cut short. And then we are we're taken on this tangent, a distraction. Something to take us away from the real reason that Paul is there. Because our adversary and the world do not want the real reason Paul is there to become the center of attention. Without letting him finish, the high priest had Paul struck for what he said. Breaking the law himself. Having Paul punished without a formal hearing or even being found guilty of anything. And when Paul angrily points out the hypocrisy of what happens to him there, with with very similar admonition as Jesus uses with the Pharisees in Matthew 23, Paul is informed at that moment that the man he just rebuked is the standing high priest. Now, some have argued that Paul should have known who the high priest was, that Ananias was the high priest, but by the New Testament period, that position, that of high priest was no longer a hereditary position it wasn't held as long as that high priest was alive it it had changed to a position of appointment having become something of a political position something of of political interest and and influence and Paul had been absent so long in Gentile lands he could have easily missed a new appointment so it's, it's very simple matter to see that he would have not known who the high priest was Secondly, since this was not a hearing called by the Jewish leadership, but by a Roman tribune on the spur of the moment, it was, it was likely a more casual gathering, and the high priest might not have been seated in his regular seat or wearing his traditional clothing for something like this. One way or another, as soon as Paul realizes what he's done, Paul humbles himself before the word of God. Exodus 22. You shall not revile God, nor curse a ruler of your people. Recalling these words of God, Paul submits his heart to God and brings everything back. When he gets his focus on God's word and his heart humbled before God's word, he brings it all back to the real reason that he is there. Verse 6. Now when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. It is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. Paul perceived his audience and says, The real reason that I am here is for the hope of the resurrection. The word for perceived here is the Greek word gnus. And it's it's this aorist form of the word that means to know, which means Paul knew the people there in front of him. He knew his audience. A good translation here might be that, but Paul knew that one part were Sadducees and the other part Pharisees. He knew who this council was composed of. Chapter 22, verses 4 through 5, what did it say to us? As he was giving his testimony earlier to the crowd, he said, I persecuted this way to death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers, I journeyed to Damascus, and so on. He knew this group of men that were standing before him. Though there was a new high priest, as we can see in what happened earlier, Paul still knew the people before him. He didn't have to figure them out. He knew them. So Paul knew just how zealously they might react when he said what he said. He knew what the consequences of his next words could possibly be. He knew that these were the same people that stoned Stephen to death as he stood there at that time approvingly. And he spoke the words anyways. I am here because of the hope, the resurrection. Verse 7. And when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say there's no resurrection or angel in their spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledged them all. Then a great clamor arose, and some of the scribes of the Pharisees' party stood up and contended sharply, We find nothing wrong with this man. What if a spirit or angel spoke to him? And when the dissension became violent... The tribune, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him away from among them by force and bring him to the barracks. It happened just like Paul probably thought it could. Some say that Paul was trying to be divisive here. I'm not sold on that. I think he was simply bringing things back to the heart of the matter. He He saw his circumstances, and knowing what the council's reaction could come to, violence, death, knowing that he might not come out alive, he stuck to the real reason he was there in spite of them. Paul didn't come up with this resurrection talk out of nowhere just to be divisive. The resurrection has been the gospel theme from the beginning of Acts to its end. The resurrection is foundational to the gospel. Acts chapter 2, verses twenty to 24 and, and 29 to 33, it says, Men of Israel, hear these words. This is at Pentecost. Peter speaking to the crowd. And of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Peter says to them, everything you're seeing, everything that you're hearing on this day is because Jesus Christ is risen. He is resurrected. He is alive. In this is our hope. In chapter 4, speaking directly to the Sanhedrin, the same people that Paul is standing before right now, Peter brings it back to the resurrection again. Chapter 4, verses 8 through 12, he says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders... by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. You think it's a, uh, this is all about a crippled man's healing? Let me tell you what it's really all about. It's really all about Jesus Christ crucified and raised from the dead. Our Savior is alive, and therefore he is able to heal. You're seeing this man healed because of the resurrection. In Acts chapter 5, Peter again starts this confession with the resurrection. Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus. Resurrection whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Peter, again and again, the apostles, again and again. It's all about the resurrection. This gospel is the resurrection within Paul's own ministry. In the book of Acts, we see the resurrection theme strewn throughout. Chapter 13, verses 26 through 33. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him, nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. For many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. If Jesus had not been raised, the promises would not be fulfilled. The the prophets spoke of the resurrection, and Jesus fulfills the prophets. And again, from the, the mouth of Paul Chapter 17, verse 18, when he he was speaking in in Athens, some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him, and some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others say he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. What was he preaching in Athens? Jesus and the resurrection. And even as Paul moves on from this moment we find him in today, before the council, he continues to proclaim the resurrection of Christ as his testimony. He will do it before Felix in chapter 24, verses 14 and 15. And he will do it again before Agrippa. Everywhere he goes, it is the resurrection of Christ that is at the center of his testimony. Agrippa, that would be chapter 26, verses 6 through 8, by the way. He does it unapologetically, sincerely. The resurrection is at the center of our faith. In the the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 15, verses 14 through 20, Paul clearly lays out that the resurrection is key to our hope and salvation. He says, if Christ had not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people to be most pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Without the resurrection, we would still be in our sins. Over and again, the message of the gospel is laden with speak about the resurrection from the beginning of Acts through Paul's ministry and even on to his further defense. The resurrection is central and key to our faith. It lies at the heart of the gospel. Without the resurrection, there is no gospel. Why was Paul there? Why was Paul standing before this council? He was not trying to be divisive or underhanded, or subversive. What was the real reason? The real reason that Paul is in that position, there in that place, is the hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's your answer, Tribune, Sanhedrin, or anyone else who asks. Whatever might come my way, if you should tear me to pieces, if you should stone me like Stephen. Jesus Christ is Paul's first love and his reason. His ministry was in good conscience before God. His heart was humble before the word of God and his purpose to proclaim The hope of the resurrection. What is the real reason that you are here? I don't mean to be insulting with this question. If you feel insulted, maybe you need to spend some time thinking about it. But God's word should always make us stop and think. There are so many things that we can get caught up in, so many ideas and issues that distract us that we begin to live out this Christianity and kind of life. Sometimes it happens over such a long period of time that that we just don't realize what's been going on and how we've been led in this direction. Sometimes we need to be jarred out of it if we're going to be effective for the gospel kingdom. What is the real reason? What is the first reason that you are here? What is the reason that surpasses all other reasons? The one that that all our other reasons submit themselves to? There can be a lot of reasons to be here. What's your first one? Is it because you grew up in church and it's a safe place for you? Is it social? Is it having those connections with other people and it's just a great family time? Are you fulfilling some kind of religious duty? You come on Sundays so that you can feel fulfilled? Is it, is it making you feel fulfilled to be at church on a Sunday like you've done the right thing? Which yes, God's word does call us together, doesn't it? But, but what's The primary reason. What primary reason guides your involvement in this church family? Why do we have a building? Why do we teach God's word? Why why do we worship? Why do you participate in ministry? Any reason other than the hope of our salvation in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, any other reason is either secondary or insufficient. Do we remember our first love? Is Jesus Christ and the hope of our salvation in his resurrection, is this our real reason for doing what we do, going where we go, and all the words that come out of our mouths? Does our story change depending upon who we're around at school, at work, or wherever we might be? When we look intently upon those who we are with and we know who they are, do we change our purpose? Does our, our reason change from the gospel of the resurrection of Christ to any other subject we might be able to grab onto at the moment? Or are we still willing to say, under any circumstances, with anyone before us, that my purpose, my life, it all belongs to Christ Jesus? Colossians three seventeen. Whatever you do, In word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. It all belongs to Christ. Because in his death and his resurrection, he's given it all to us. Let's not allow the tangents and all the other things that could be around us to get the best of us. This great picture that I, I saw yesterday. No stage, no lights and smoke, no church logo, no flex, no banners, no advertising. Church. Not that having lights a bad thing or having a building is a bad thing. But they can easily become the reason. And we don't want that, do we? The reason we are here is, wow, that person's wearing a really loud shirt today. Do you really want to pick that color? But like I was saying, our, our real purpose is, you know, the worship today, it didn't really fulfill me. Well, that's fine because we weren't worshiping you. our stewardship and our calling flows from the fact and the hope of the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Like Paul, our walk needs to be in good conscience before God in everything we say and do. In all of our activities in church and out of church, our hearts need to be humble before the word of God and whatever that word would call us to. And our purpose is to bear witness of the resurrection of our Lord by everything we say and do in every circumstance to the ends of the earth. Life, real life, eternal life, church life, it's all about the resurrection. That is the real reason that we are here. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for giving us reason Lord, we have a purpose in your Son, Jesus Christ, that goes far beyond what we're going to eat today, what our health is like, what our family life is like. We have a reason that goes far beyond anything on this earth or the length of our days here. We have a reason that is eternal and and infinite. Lord, I pray we would begin our eternal praises of you in who we are, what we say, what we do, everything placed before you today, not waiting for the day we die on this earth to give you everything we are, but beginning to live out what you've done in us today. Fill us with your spirit, we pray. Make us more, we pray. All in Jesus Christ's name, we pray. Amen.